tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the presence of God. And um, so I want to let you know that you don't have to pray hard and long to receive the presence of God, and you don't have to sing loud for the presence of God. We're going to learn tonight that God is always present, no matter where you are. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So when we talk about the omnipresence of God, what exactly do we mean? Well, we know that the word omni simply means all. And the word presence is just a common word that has something to do with locality. But when we talk about the omnipresence of God, what we're talking about is a God whose complete essence is fully present in all places at all times. In other words, to put it more simply, God is everywhere at the same time. And so that is what the presence of God is all about. And if there is at least one area, one place where God is not present, then he wouldn't be an omnipresent God. But there's no place on earth, no place in this universe that God is not. God is everywhere. So there are three things that we can learn about the omnipresence of God. If you have your Bibles with you, go to 1 Kings chapter 8. But all of God exists everywhere. And because God is such an infinite spirit, he is not restricted to being in one location at a time. But God fills every inch of space throughout this universe. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, we read a story where Solomon had just finished building the temple. And now he's about to dedicate the temple and gather all of his people together so that they can dedicate this place as God's dwelling place for the glory of God so that everyone, especially all of Israel, will know that this was God's house. And so in 1 Kings chapter 8, he begins the prayer of dedication, and we're going to pick up in verse 26. It says, Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. Now listen to what he says in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Solomon recognized that God is so great and his presence is so big and so vast that not even the highest heavens can contain him, never mind a temple. So one of the things that we can learn about the presence of God is that you can't contain his presence. God is so big and so vast and so immense that not even the universe can contain him. The word cannot contain in the Hebrew simply means to keep in. And you cannot keep God in a box because he's so big and so large. Isaiah 66 in verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And then he goes on to say, Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? Which shows that God is a big God. Hallelujah. So God's presence is immeasurable. And he's big, he's vast, he's gigantic, he's colossal, he's great. And so as big and as great and as immeasurable as an infinite God, as God is, you can't even keep him in the temple. Because all of God exists everywhere. That means that you cannot take God and divide him up into parts, little parts, to fit him into the different areas of the universe but rather you can take every little piece of the universe and the entire presence of God is there. Are you with me? So the one thing that we can learn about the, the omnipresence of God is you cannot contain it. The second thing that we can learn about the presence of God is found in Psalm 139. If you'll go there with me. David understood something about the infinite presence of God. He understood that all of God exists everywhere. And in Psalm 139, in beginning in verse 7, are you there? In verse 7, he starts out by saying this. He asks two important questions, but yet rhetorical questions. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? That's 139 Psalms in verse 7. So David asks these two rhetorical questions, which is, 
a question that he already knew the answer to. He says, where can I hide from your spirit? And where can I run from your presence? We know that God is spirit. Therefore, because he is spirit, he exists everywhere at the same time. But of course, David already knew this. But then he goes on to say, verses 8 through 10, what the results would be if someone tried to run from God as far away from God as possible, even to the farthest corners of the universe. And this is what he says in verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I take my bed to hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remote place of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. So what David was simply saying is this. Whenever you run from God and you get to where you're going, God is already there because you're going to run right into him. So there is absolutely no place that you can run and no place that you can hide from the very presence of God. So David says, no matter where I go, no matter how far I run, I still run into you. So the second thing we learn about the omnipresence of God is that God is so big you can't avoid him. The third thing that we can learn about the presence of God is it found in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. So we know that the omnipresence of God, when we talk about the omnipresence of God, we're talking about a God whose presence cannot be contained. And we're talking about a God whose presence, and he's so big that you can't avoid. And in Jonah chapter 1, he knew exactly what David knew. The only problem was that Jonah found out the hard way. In Jonah chapter 1, and you know the story, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So it's pretty evident what his motive was and what his intentions were, and that was to run away from God. How many of you know that you cannot run from God and you certainly cannot hide from God? Amen. So like David, Jonah is going to find out the hard way that you cannot hide from his presence. So as I mentioned before, David says in Psalm 139 and verse 7, where can I hide from your spirit? And where can I run from your presence? In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24, you don't need to turn there, but Jeremiah 23 verse 24 says, can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. Just as light and air fills up the room, the presence of God fills the universe. Jonah thought that he can run from God. He didn't want to do what God told him to do. But he found out very quickly that God is so big, you cannot get over him. God is so close that you can't even get away from him. God is so vast and so infinite that you can't even ignore him. So one of the things that we can learn about Jonah's experience is the fact that when Jonah got on that boat to run away from God, a storm erupted. Now, it's not uncommon for a storm to erupt out at sea. But this storm was not like any other storm. And the reason for that is because this storm came from God. In verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1, it says this. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Here's a lesson to learn. Anytime you run from God, or anytime you try to avoid God, or anytime you try to ignore God, let me say that again. Anytime you try to run from God, anytime you try to ignore God, and anytime you try to avoid God, God will stir up things around you to get your attention. 
when God hurled that storm, the Bible says that the boat was about to break. Now, in the natural, it looked as though the, the crew was about to lose their lives and they were in danger. But that storm didn't come for the men. As a matter of fact, they were safe. Because God's not going to bring a storm to hurt anybody. That storm was raised for one person and one person only. And that was Jonah. So as the waves were great, was, was great and high, it was pointing directly at Jonah. Because God was trying to get his attention. Second lesson that we learn from Jonah's experience is that when you run from God, or when you try to avoid God, or when you try to ignore God, the, the direction that you choose will always be long and hard. Let me say that again. Anytime you try to run away from God, try to ignore God, or try to avoid God, the road you choose, the direction you choose, will always be long and hard. In other words, your travel and your journeys will always be inconvenienced. But if you choose to do it God's way, the road that you choose will not be as inconvenienced or will not be as long or hard because you did it God's way. That's the problem with some of the God's people is that they tend to want to do things their own way. They want to do things in their own terms rather than do it God's way. And it's so much simpler to do it just do it God's way. Amen? Amen? So the third thing we learn about the omnipresence of God is that God is so big that his presence, of his presence that you cannot ignore him. Amen. Amen? So that is the omnipresence of God. So let's talk about the indwelling presence of God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I want you to say this with me. My body is his house. It said, my body is his house. Verse 16 said, do you not know that you're you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. God is presently residing in us. He is intimately and personally living in this house. This is a mystery because you're talking about a great God who is infinite, who is vast, yet he's willing to dwell in this imperfect and frail body. It's, it's always amazing to me how God, who is so great and so big and so vast and so immense and so immeasurable that not even the highest heavens can contain him, yet he's willing to dwell in this frail body. That amazes me, that the God of this universe has taken up residence in his people. As I said before, God is spirit. Therefore, because he is spirit... He exists everywhere at the same time. In John 14, you don't have to turn there, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit. He's told his disciples that he was about to leave, but he says, I'm going to send you another comforter. And this comforter is going to be with you forever. This comforter, which is the spirit of truth, is going to come and live in you and with you. And so when we hear that, we know that God's presence is not only around us, but he's also in us. Go to, the ne go to John chapter 15. He is not only present inside of us, and I want you to understand that God is not just living inside of us, just hanging around. He's not a deadbeat just laying up and just doing nothing. God is a do-nothing God. He's not a do-nothing God, I should say. But God is actively present in us. That means that he is constantly shaping our character. He is developing the fruits of the Spirit, and he's stirring up the gifts of the Spirit in us because he's active presently and personally and intimately. 
In John chapter 15, in verse 4, it says this, Dwell in me, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version, and I will dwell in you. Live in me, and I will live in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in or being vitally united to the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much fruit. However, apart from me, that is cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. When we read this verse, what we're hearing is this. God who dwells in us is the one that's bringing forth that fruit. Not you and I. And Pastor John had made that very clear. All he does is, all we have to do is simply connect with him and remain with him. And while he's living in us, he's the one that's bearing the fruit. He's the one that's producing that fruit in our lives. That's what I mean about him being actively present. And I love that word, actively, because it tells me that God is busy doing things. So what does that mean to the believer? When we talk about God's indwelling presence in our lives, that means that God is our lifeline. That means we are completely dependent upon him to be everything that he wants us to be because you and I cannot do it on our own. We definitely need his help. That's why the comforter, which is the helper, has come to be with us so that he can do the things that God desires for, to do in us, which is to shape our character to be everything that God is, to be Christ-like but we need his presence in our lives. So when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to, to his disciples, he says this. He says, I'm going to send you someone who can be everywhere with each of you all of the time, no matter where you are. And this is the beauty about the Spirit of God. The Bible says in John chapter 16 that it is to our advantage that Jesus leaves. Because if he doesn't leave, then he can't send the comforter. This is very important because let's say Jesus decided to leave. Let's say he remained on this earth today. So if I needed help from Jesus, because Jesus, even though he was God, limited his deity into his humanity. That means in his humanity, he is limited to time and space, which means that he can only be in one place at one time. So if I, who live in New Bedford, need help, and I'm crying out to Jesus, and I'm finding out that as I'm crying out to Jesus, he's at Steve's house in Fairhaven helping him out. Now, I'm not going to be very happy about that because I need help right now. And it may take forever before he gets the help that he needs. <laughs> In the meantime, while I'm waiting for Jesus to help Steve, you have someone else. You have Ellie who lives in East Providence who also needs his help. And so now we all have to wait for Jesus to finish at Steve's house, which can take all day. We might have to see him the next day before any one of us can see him. My point here is this. When the Spirit of God has come, he can be everywhere at all times. So while he's helping me, he's also helping Jesus. So I don't have to compete with anyone to receive his help because we have all of the Spirit in us. All of God dwells inside of us. So, in other words, <laughs> in other words, oh, I lost my point here. That's Steve's fault. <laughs> God encompasses everything everywhere, and the Spirit of God dwells in us always, and all of God is in us. That means that you have as much of God in you as I have in me. So I don't need to compete with you. I don't need to have to stand in line. God is constantly, actively, presently working in me just as much as he's doing for you because we have all of him in us. Amen? Amen. That is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. So to have God's presence with you is to have all of him in you and with you. 
Go to Acts chapter 17. In 1 John 4, 4, John says this, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That means that the he that is in you and I, which is the Spirit of God, is equally in all of us, everywhere, all the time. So you have as much of God in you as I have in me. Acts 17, verse 28, he says this, For in him we live and move and have our being. I like to say it like this. For in him I live and I move and I have my being. I make it personal. That's the indwelling presence of God. Now, we talked about the omnipresence of God. We talked about the indwelling presence of God. So let's talk about the manifest presence of God. What do I mean by the manifest presence of God? Well, let's look at the word manifest. The word manifest in the Greek means to exhibit in person or to disclose or to reveal by word or to appear. Pay close attention to the definition. It also means to be made clear or obvious to the eye or to the mind. It also means to display or to show by one's actions or appearance, to demonstrate or to become apparent through the appearance of symptoms. Let me ask you this question. How can you tell when a person has a cold? By their symptoms. So when you see somebody sniffing and sneezing and all congested and runny nose and blowing their nose and coughing and gagging, it is pretty obvious and pretty clear to us in our eyes and in our minds that that person has a cold. The symptom is the manifestation of the condition. So when we talk about the manifestation of God's presence, we are talking about God's presence. It, we're talking about the demonstration and the appearance of God in many different ways so that it can be obvious and clear to all of us. God desires to be made known. God desires to be real to us. He doesn't want to be a mystery to us. He wants to make himself known. He wants to make himself real. So God is constantly manifesting himself in such a way so that it can be clear and obvious to all of us that he is truly God and he is present. A good example is over in Acts chapter 9. Let's go there real quickly. Acts chapter 9. You know the story about the Apostle Paul. Well, at the time he was Saul. Acts chapter 9, beginning verse 3, it says, As he traveled on, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. Then he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is an example of Saul having an encounter with the manifest presence of God. It was very obvious and very clear to him in his eyes and in his mind that this was truly God or the Lord Jesus. And so that's the, what, when God manifests himself in such a way, it is going to be obvious to all of us that this is truly who God is. Go with me quickly to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And this is the story of Joseph. And again, you know the story of Joseph. His brothers hated him. His brothers were jealous of him, and they wanted to kill him. But instead, they, they sold him into slavery. And in Genesis chapter 39, we pick up in verse 1, where it says this, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. Now look in verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and so he became a successful or prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, verse 3 is what I want you to really pay attention to. Now, his master, which was Potiphar, saw, I want you to say that word, saw, saw. 
Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. There was something about Joseph that Potiphar saw, something that was very clear to him, something that was very obvious to him. There was a demonstration that made him believe that God was present in Joseph's life. And the manifestation of that was the fact that he knew that God was the one that made him prosperous. So my point here is this. When, we, when we're talking about the manifestation of God's presence, we're talking about something that becomes obvious and clear to all of us without a question or any shadow of doubt that this is truly God. And God wants to do that in our lives. He wants to manifest himself in such a way that it is clear and obvious to all of us that God is truly present and working in our lives. Let me ask you something. When we pray in the spirit of God, when we pray in an unknown tongue, the Bible says that it is the spirit of God that gives the utterance. The word utterance means enunciation. He gives us the words. We provide the voice. And the Bible says that when we speak in tongues, it is a mystery to all of us, but not to God, because it's meant to communicate with God. So when we're praying in the Spirit, and you probably never thought about this, but when you're praying in the Spirit or praying in an unknown tongue, the Spirit of God has given you that utterance. That is the manifest presence of God working. Because it's all God. That's not you. That's not me. When we pray, it's the Spirit of God that gives us the utterance. That is the manifestation of God's presence. When you're sleeping, and I'm sure some of you, I know it's happened to me, and I know some of you, it's happened to some of you, where you're sleeping deeply, and all of a sudden you wake up abruptly with a sense of urgency to pray. That's not you. That is the manifestation of the presence of God. That is God saying, it's, it's God's manifesting himself in such a way that it is obvious and clear to all of us that this is truly God. So God is constantly working and manifesting himself. Another thing about the presence of God or the manifest presence of God, that when God is so obvious to, 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 you know, in your life, others will see it. Others will notice it. When Potiphar saw Joseph and he saw how he prospered, he knew there was something different about Joseph. Moses' house had a similar experience. You don't have to turn it, but in Exodus chapter 33, and in verse 16, Moses said this to God, How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? Listen to what he says. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from other people on the earth. So when the manifest presence of God is working, it sets you apart from everyone else. When you walk into a room, there's something different about that person. There's something different about you. And the things that go on in your life, it's a manifestation of God being with you. Abraham had a similar experience as well. A heathen king, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, saw and recognized that God was with Moses, I mean with Abraham, because he saw there was something different about Abraham. He said this, Abimelech spake unto Abraham in Genesis 21 and verse 22. And Abimelech spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. There was something that Abimelech saw in Abraham that told him, or that was pretty obvious to him, and it became very clear and apparent that the presence of God was with him. Something that he saw. I'm talking about the manifestation of God's presence in your life. When God's manifest presence is active, something is going on that even the the heathens or the unbelievers will recognize that God is present in your life. You ever walk into a room and, or in your work job or wherever and, and someone says something different about you? You're not like everybody else. That's because of the manifest presence of God working, making it obvious to others that God is with you. Now, let's talk about the benefits of his presence. One of the things that God's presence can do for us is that it allows us to accomplish things in life. Go with me 
to Mark chapter 16. <clears throat> when we looked in Genesis chapter 39 and we saw Joseph's life and we saw how God manifested himself in him, in his life, because everything that, that Joseph did prospered, that was his accomplishment. Of course, Joseph accomplished something far greater than that. But when we look at Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 15, where Jesus commissions his disciples to go and preach the gospel to all the world. And uh, let me see, we'll pick up in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Verse 17. And these signs shall follow, or you could say, the manifest presence of God will follow those that believe. He says, in my name you shall cast out devils, and you shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. We're talking about the manifest presence of God. And in verse, six, verse 19 says this, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Verse 20, And they, the disciples, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The disciples would not have been able to accomplish this if it weren't for the manifest presence of God in their lives. The Bible says that Christ went with them, confirming the word wherever they went with signs, that manifest presence and power of God working in the disciples' life, and they went out and preached the gospel everywhere. Paul understood this concept as well. We know that he accomplished much, even though he had suffered much persecution throughout his ministry. Matter of fact, he tells us what he had gone through when he said he was beaten with rods, he was beaten with many stripes, he was imprisoned. He was, he was abandoned by some of his fellow workers. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he went through it all. But yet in the midst of all of that, he accomplished much because he preached the gospel throughout the old ancient world, established churches everywhere, turned the whole ancient world upside down, and even wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And Paul understood that he could not have accomplished that without the presence of God because in Philippians 4.13, he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he understood this concept. The presence of God also offers us protection. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And you know the story when Moses died God appeared to Joshua and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now he tells Joshua, and I want you to take up the mantle, and I want you to pick up where he left off and take my people over to the promised land. That was his assignment. But not without the promise of protection. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, listen to what God said to, to Joshua. He says, there shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you, only be strong and of good courage. We all know how the presence of God was all over Moses. And in the same way that God was with Moses, he promised, I'm going to be with you. As actively present as I was with Moses and as powerfully as I was with Moses, I'm going to also be with you. So don't be afraid, and no, don't let anybody get in your way because no one's going to be able to stand against you. How many of you have someone standing in front of you or against you or preventing you from moving forward or moving upward? God says no one will be able to stand against you. No one. Because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Another benefit of God's presence in our lives is how he gives us victory over temptations. And I want you to pay very close attention here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in verse 13, it says this, 
No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you can be able, so that you will be able to endure it. Let me ask you this question. Who did he say will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able? Who's that? God. And who did he say was, through the temptation, would be able to provide a way of escape? God. So we see two things that God does here. He prevents us or makes sure he does not allow us to be overwhelmed by temptation, and he also makes a way of escape through the temptation, which tells me one thing, that every time we're tempted, God is present. Every time you face a temptation, God is there. Now go quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He would have to be there. Otherwise, how will he allow you not to be tempted beyond what you're able? And how would he allow you to find a way of escape if he wasn't there? But he said that God is faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then verse 19 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Say this with me. My body, My body. is his house. house. My, body My body is God's house. Is God's house. My, body My body belongs to God, belongs to God. And, not to me. and not to me. So wherever you go, God goes. Wherever you are, God is. So you can't go anywhere where he is not. We saw that Jonah found that out very quickly. David says in 139, verse 7 and 8, Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I run from your presence? He says, If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, behold, you're there. So, we know now that God is present even when we're tempted. Now, when we're facing temptation, and keep in mind that even though God is with us even through the temptation so that it will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able and to make a way of escape through the temptation, but we still have a free will. We still have a choice. So there's a chance that when we're tempted, we might give in to the temptation and fall into sin. But I want you to tell you this, but God is there also even when you fail. God is still present even when you fall into sin. Now, the context of the, of the, uh, the verse that I've quoted, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, was Paul talking about the sin of sexual immorality. And he said this, he says, whenever we are engaged in sexual relationship outside of marriage, it's not a private matter done behind closed doors. Let me say that again. <clears throat> Paul is saying that whenever we're engaged in sexual relationship outside of marriage, he's saying it is no longer a private matter done behind closed doors. In other words, it's not a secret. How did that work for Bathsheba and David? It wasn't a private matter. It might have been a private matter for them. The doors may have been closed. The lights may have been off. But definitely was not a private matter. Because God is present. Imagine this. Imagine somebody going into your house and throwing a party with drugs, drinking, and sex while you're still there. Well, imagine using your body in the same fashion because God is there. This is his house. This belongs to God. It's not your house. It's not my house. It's his house. You ever imagine what God would say when we fall into sin? I would imagine he would ask this question. He would ask, how can you do that while I'm standing here? 
And that's what Paul was talking about here. He's talking about this is his body. And therefore, we are to take his body and glorify him. And listen, I'm not saying this to judge anybody. I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I'm not saying it to, to convict anyone. What I'm saying is this. When we come to the realization, and this whole purpose of this message, is that we come to the realization that God is present. When we come and, and, and become aware of the fact and, and be conscious that God is with us everywhere we go, it would bring us to a place where we can maintain a life of holiness and righteousness. And then we can honor God in all that we do and do all that is pleasing in his sight. The whole reason why God is with us during our time of temptation is because he does not want us to give in to the temptation. He's there to help us so that we won't be overcome by temptation, so that he can find a way of escape because he does not want us to sin. That's God's grace and that's God's mercy. So God is always present, even in our time of temptation. You don't have to sing loud enough, and you don't have to pray long enough to get into the presence of God. He's already there. Yes. He's already present. Another benefit, I'll move on with this subject. Another benefit of the presence of God is how he makes provisions, especially for our needs. Psalm 46 in verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, our present help in time of need. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. God has a special relational presence with us. He's always available especially when we have a need in life. <clears throat> it, several years ago, when our children were still small and at home, and you, some of you already heard the story, but for those of you who have not heard the story, I think this will benefit you. <clears throat> but we had been struggling financially, and, uh, and there was a time where, uh, you know, I didn't have a vehicle. My car broke down, so we were really in bad shape. So I couldn't bring my family of six to, to church, so I had to go by myself, and I had to depend on somebody to give me a ride because I couldn't find anybody to give a ride for a family of six on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. So unfortunately, I had to leave my family behind. And so it was a very tough time for us, and so we struggled financially, and especially before Christmas, especially several days before Christmas. Actually, it was just a few days before Christmas. Yeah, that's when the car broke down. And I remember having a Christmas tree, one of them scrawny, uh, skinny uh, Christmas tree that we put up every year, the same one we fold up and put in the box and we take out in one of them cheap ones. But there was no gifts under the tree. And so, you know, I mean, we know that our kids would eventually get gifts from the grandparents and from the family and everything else, but we couldn't provide that for them. And you know how that is when you can't provide for your own children. It's tough, especially for me as a father when I really wanted to see that. So now our kids didn't have any gifts on Christmas morning. So I remember my cousin came home, came over to the house with his wife to visit, and they brought some gifts for the kids. I said, oh, great, you know, at least now they have something that they can open up on Christmas morning. So we talked and we fellowshiped and all this stuff. And, and then as they left, they handed us an envelope, a long envelope. Now, of course, you know, it was safe to assume that I knew that there was a check in there. So I'm saying, okay, praise God, you know, that means you know, we can at least buy some gifts for our kids. Now, so when they left, we opened up the envelope, and we did not expect to see the amount that was written on that check. But the check was written for $4,000, not to buy gifts, but to buy a vehicle. God says that he is our refuge and our strength, our present help in time of need. And boy, I tell you, that, that we certainly needed that. <clears throat> but, and here's the thing about this, too. Even during that time that we were going through that stuff, even though we were struggling financially, we couldn't afford much, we always brought his tithes and his offerings into the storehouse. Now, I have to admit to you that there were times when I was tempted 
to use the tithes and offerings to buy food or to pay bills. But God was present to make sure that I was not overcome or overwhelmed by temptation. And he made a way of escape through that temptation so that I, will, so I can bring in the tithes into the storehouse and the offerings. And we did it consistently. And we never diverted from that. But the fact that God provided us with $4,000 at the time that we needed was the manifest presence of God. It was very clear and obvious to all of us that this was truly God who intervened and came in at a time that we needed it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself had said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Hallelujah. I want you to say this with me. The Lord and the Lord alone is my helper. The Bible says, I looked into the hills from whence cometh my help. The Lord is my help. Hallelujah. So the presence of God has many benefits. It protects us. It helps us to accomplish things that you and I can never accomplish. And understand this, whenever God calls us to do an assignment, whenever God calls us to do something, it's less about your abilities and more about his presence. Amen. Jeremiah, Joseph, <coughs> who was a house slave, think about this. He was in a very dark moment of his life, being far away from home, a young man in a strange land around strange people. His freedom was stripped away from him, and he has now to live a life of servitude. But yet in his darkest hour, the Bible says that God had prospered him. He made him to prosper in everything that he does. So even in our most difficult circumstances, God's presence will benefit us because he will make sure that we will prosper in whatever we do. Man, I love God. I love how he works. Praise God. Now, as I get ready to close, we talked about the manifest presence of God and the benefits. Of course, there's many more benefits. I just don't have time to go into all of it. But there's something about God being present in our lives. Even when we leave here, God is living with you. But how can we experience the manifest presence of God every day of our lives? How can God become obvious and real to us every day? How can we experience God's presence? How can we have an encounter with God every day knowing that his presence is actively working and we know it and it's obvious to all of us? How can we do this? Go to, with me to John chapter 14. Very, very simple. John chapter 14, beginning verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and what? Manifest myself to him. In verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we, the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home with him. Let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. Verse 21 says, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me, and whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show and reveal and manifest myself to him. 
I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. And then Judas, not Iscariot, asked him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself and make yourself real to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word and obey my teachings, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home a special dwelling place with him. So if you want to experience the manifest presence of God in your life, all you got to do is love him, really love him. And the Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments or you will obey my words. So if we live a life of obedience, obeying his word, we will experience the manifest presence of God. He will show himself real. He will make himself real and known to us every day of our lives because we've submitted to him, we surrendered to him, and obey his voice. The manifest presence of God. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for manifesting your presence here tonight. We thank you, Father God, for speaking forth your words to your people. We thank you, Father God, for the words that will encourage us, words that will strengthen us, words, Father God, that will bring wisdom and understanding, Father God. We thank you, Father, for making yourself real and making yourself known to us tonight. And now, Father, we pray, Father God, that every day of our lives, Father, you make yourself real. Every day of our lives, Father God, you show yourself strong and mighty on our behalf. Father, every day of our lives, Father, we have an encounter with you, Lord God. Lord, even our prayer time, Father God, will always be an encounter. It will be an experience, Father God. And Father, we thank you for this new chapter in our lives, Father God, that from here on in, Father, we will continue to be aware of your presence in our lives. And Father, we thank you for making yourself real. Thank you for making yourself obvious to us. Thank you for making yourself apparent to us, Lord God, that you are truly with us and that you'll not leave us nor forsake us. So, Father, we thank you. And we give you all the glory and all the praise, Father God, for everything you've done and all that you will do in our lives from this day forward. In the name of Jesus.